The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Um, so just still being blessed from, uh, from the testimonies that were given on Easter, just people answering the question is, how has the cross changed your life, and how has the resurrection changed your life? And as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, really what those testimonies last Sunday have me thinking about, especially right now, is, is that they're declarations of how the kingdom of God comes on earth as is in heaven. Right? When Jesus is teaching us how to pray, right? our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? The Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God comes to earth, how it comes in, in real life, how it's fleshed out. And so, man, just you know, getting to hear the testimonies last week really just encouraged me of that's what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come. In our lives, as Jim and Eileen got to renew their vows, that's part of what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come, for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so just the, the encouragement, the question for you is, is how is God's kingdom coming in your life? How is God's kingdom being advanced and being pushed through in your obedience to the Lord? Right? Because that's what Jesus says. He says the difference between the kingdom, between us right now and when we're going to be with the Lord is that when we're with the Lord, his will is obeyed perfectly. And so we get glimpses of that kingdom as you and I obey, as we submit our lives to Christ and we say, use me. We get little pictures of heaven here on earth as you and I are submissive underneath the Lord because he, he wants to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And so um, to... We're in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14, and, and I want to just kind of do a little bit of prep work because Jesus is concluding his sermon. So I'm starting my sermon with his conclusion. Um, and so we need to do a little prep work so that we can understand how to approach this correctly. Um, when, you, when you look at verses 13 through 14, which I'm going to read, and then we're, we're going to do the prep work. So Matthew 7, 13 through 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the, gate is wa- or for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. When you open up the Sermon on Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, one of the things you start noticing is that Jesus talks about these two distinct ways of living life. Right? I mean, when you open up in the first chapter, of, uh, in, in verse chapter 5, he starts saying, You have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, right, that if anyone has anger in his heart, that he's already committed murder. You have heard it said that you shall not, you know, uh, lust or commit adultery. But I tell you that if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery with her in, in, in his heart. And so he, Jesus is talking here, and he, he shows that these two different ways. There's the letter of the law, and then there's the heart of it. And then you, you go into Matthew 6, and Jesus starts talking about spiritual disciplines. What does it look like for us to live a holy and righteous life, right? And he talks about giving. He talks about, you know, praying. He talks about fasting. But in each one of these, he's contrasting, right? He shows two different ways. He says, you can fast, and you can fast in a way that puts yourself on display. Look at how holy I am. I'm abstaining from food because I'm righteous, and I really love Jesus, 
right? Which is, I mean, ironic because you're not loving Jesus in that. And, and he says you can give in a way that really makes a big deal of your giving, you know, letting other people know maybe non-discreet ways that I'm pretty generous so that you can be looked at. He says you can pray in a way that makes you seem very righteous and lofty in these prayers that you have. Or you can do these things unto the Lord. And he talks about the consequences, right? That if you live a life for the Lord versus living a life for the pleasure of man, one's going to bring anxiety, the other one's going to bring peace. And then in the rest of the, the sermon, he keeps talking about these two distinct paths, these two distinct ways, right? That in, in chapter 7, he talks about that you can come and you can either be someone that is judgmental, right? That you're constantly looking for the speck in someone else's eye because you've got it figured out. And uh, just, just let me have a, a piece of your life because I'll figure it all out, right? Or you can approach things with humility, realizing that you have sinned, that you have brokenness, and that you approach other people with problems with a sense of, I'm broken too. And he says, there's these two distinct ways. And you see it as Jesus concludes, because Jesus is concluding, and the rest of chapter 7, he's talking about these, these two things. He, right, right here, he's talking about two paths. And then next he goes on and he talks about that there's two different types of teachers, false teachers and true teachers. And he talks about there's two different kinds of trees that bear different fruit. And then he talks about there's two different kinds of foundations, sand or rock. Do you hear a little theme, right? There's two different ways that Jesus is talking about here. And so one of the most important things is that we understand what are the two ways that he's talking about in this passage. What is the wide road and what is the narrow road? Because a lot of times we strip this out of context and we misunderstand it if we don't get the whole idea of the sermon. Jesus isn't just changing. He's following this theme all the way through. So if there's a a big idea for these two verses, it's that the narrow way of Jesus brings life. The narrow way of Jesus brings life while the broad way of the multitude secures our death. The broad way of the multitude secures our death. So... We're going to talk about five, five points. So there, the passage kind of shows us that there's four differences, right? There's, there's two different kinds of entrances, right? There's a, a narrow gate and there's a broad one. There's uh, two different kinds of paths. There's a hard path and then there's an easy path. There's two different kinds of crowds, right? We can follow the crowd of the multitude of the many or we can follow the crowd of the few. And there's two different destinations. One leads to life and the other leads to destruction, And so the question is, a lot of times we misunderstand this passage because we think that Jesus is telling us that the broad way is the one of undisciplined life, right? Jesus is inviting us into this hard path where there is discipline and self-denial and it's it's extremely difficult and rigorous and, and we have to really try very hard to accomplish all the things on this hard path. But the broad way is... You know, like, it's just easy, you know, it's people blowing it with sex, money, and booze, and, you know, going out and living for the world. And I just want to tell you, while those two different lifestyles are, you know, there's differences in them, that's not what Jesus is describing here. Jesus is describing that the easy, the broad way was the way of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious group. They were conservative. They believed the Bible, inerrant. They were right on it. And Jesus is contrasting their way of approaching God to his way of approaching God. And so this is, man, it's such a a big difference because what it's saying is it's saying that you can go to church, you can follow the rules, 
You can do all the right things, but yet you can be on this broad way that leads to destruction. That you can be using religion to push and keep God away rather than to let him in and to change your heart. And so let's go ahead and let's dig in. Let's start looking at this. So first, the gates, right? Jesus talks about that there's two different kinds of gates, that there's a narrow gate and that there's a broad gate or a wide gate. So why is it that Jesus is using, because in the Bible, and in our terminology too, narrow is usually a negative word, right? You call somebody narrow-minded. That's not a good thing. And so narrow is usually a bad word. And even in the Bible, that's, it's associated with negative terminology. And broad is usually associated with a good thing, right? I would rather be in a broad space than a very confined space, you know? Um, and so we usually associate. So Jesus knows this. Why is he using negative words to describe something that is positive, something that, that is good? And I think that it's that Jesus is vigorously underlying the difference between what things may seem to be and what they are in reality. See, on the outside, Christianity seems very narrow, right? I mean, because it says there's one way to God. That one way to God is through Jesus. There aren't many paths. There aren't many ways that there is a very clear, defined way and path to the Father. And listen, that's not popular. I don't know if you like engage with people in the culture, you watch the media. That's not a popular statement, right? That's very narrow-minded. That's very uh, oppressive intolerance, right? Those words are what's used. I mean, the point of having an open mind isn't to actually close it up on the truth. It's just to constantly have an open mind. And if you happen to find something true, well, just discard it because you should have an open mind. That's what our culture believes, is that we're always under process and you can never come to any kind of conclusion or finality. But Jesus is here showing and telling us that what appears on the outside is narrow is actually when you get on the inside of it is very spacious. It's very free and it's very liberating. And what in the world looks like a very broad path? There's many ways to God. You can choose, do as you please, right? That using religion as a, as a means of self-advancement, of, of self-propagating, uh, you know? He says that what on the outside seems very broad. Everybody's doing it. It seems very easy. He says when you get in it, it's actually suffocating. It's actually suffocating. And I don't know if you've ever seen... For me, my mind immediately went to movies. So I thought of Harry Potter, right? Some of you are going to condemn me, but whatever. So Harry Potter, they have, the, there's a big hat, and, uh, and or there's, you know, like you see in their tents. It looks like a normal tent, but when you walk in the inside of it, it's like a three-story house. I'm like, I want that. That would be awesome, right? But it's this, it's this irony of that what appears on the outside isn't what actually is going on on the inside. And this is the truth of Christianity, is it from the outside, it looks intolerant, but man, when you get inside of it, you see that it is actually liberating. Why? Why does it seem intolerant? Because it says that we need grace. And grace is a good general idea, but when you start actually saying, I need grace, then you're acknowledging that you have sinned and you have personal accountability. It's easy to say, yeah, we all need grace. Yeah, everybody has a problem. But then when you actually get personal and you start talking about your problems, you're kind of like, whoa, back up, dude. It's good that you can say we're all evil, but you start calling me evil, we're going to have a problem, right? And so we are able to, we're able to push that stigma out because we don't actually want to acknowledge our own weakness. We don't want to acknowledge our own shortcomings. We don't acknowledge our own problems and own up to it and say, yes, I need grace. I need help. I don't have my life figured out. I don't have everything together. Instead, I need a savior, right? And that, that, that means that we have to 
have humility, that it strips us of our pride, it strips us of our self-sufficiency. And so on the outside, it's hard, right? Because we don't want that. We want to have it all together. We want to put on the mask and act like we're, we've got life figured out. But can I tell you from the inside, once you accept grace, it is so freeing. It is so liberating. It is what brings life because when you realize that you don't deserve what you have gotten, then everything becomes this gift. Your life becomes something that is one of mystery and of awe at the goodness of God rather than you constantly thinking about what you deserve and about your rights. You see, but on the world, you're the, what seems so broad actually becomes very narrow because your life is defined on your actions. You're trying to save yourself. You're trying to achieve God's favor by your works, by your goodness, right? There's two ways, and this is irony. Jesus says there's only two ways. We want to say that there's many, but Jesus says there's only two. It's either by grace or it's by your works. You are either saved because you cry out and say, there's nothing in me, I can't save myself, I'm bankrupt spiritually and I need a savior. Or you come and say, listen, I've got this figured out, my resume's good, I'm, I'm, God will be pleased with me when I get there. Man, and... And to do that, if you really think that that's, that's true, most of you wouldn't articulate that, but our lives live it out all the time, right? You're denying evil. You're denying evil, and you're never going to be healed. You're never going to be healed because you're going to cover over lots of places in your life because you're comparing them to other people to make you feel better. And so you, you'll say, well, I, I know that this might be a problem, but I'm not as bad as that person, and so you just brush over it. Rather than under grace, you're not comparing yourself to anybody but Jesus Christ. And so he can actually reveal the real problems that are going on in your heart, and therefore real healing can start happening in your life. You can actually be freed. That's what the truth does. It comes in and and it it frees us. And so hear this from Jesus. In John 10, 9 through 10, he says, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the gate, right? He is, he is the gate. And hear this. Why does Jesus start talking about uh, a gate, well, part of it is that a gate requires someone to open it. And I want you to know that, that you and I, we're not the ones that are pursuing Christ. Christ is pursuing us. Christ is pursuing you. He has loved you before you were even born. And so just so you know, he is the one that is opening the gate and inviting you to come in. No one can open the gate on their own. The gate must be opened. And so Jesus comes to open the gate to invite you to come in to fellowship with him, to be in relationship with him. So we've seen that there are two different kinds of gates, that one is narrow while one is broad, right? One is, is an offer of grace while the other one says that you must depend upon yourself and your own ability to perform, which is suffocating. And he talks about, second, he says that there's two paths, right? He says that there's a hard path and that there's an easy path. And I, can I tell you that following Christ in some ways is the most difficult thing that you'll ever do? Why? Because, well, when you're not a Christian, you don't really have as many enemies. Your enemies are actually your friends because you just do as you please. 
As soon as you become a Christian, though, you find that the things that you used to give indulgence to are now warring against your soul. I remember for me, when I became a Christian, the things that I used to do, and I might feel guilty because they hurt somebody else, but I, you know, I found pleasure in them, so I would continue to do those things. All of a sudden, I found conviction, and I knew that I was not pleasing the God that I didn't worship or acknowledge before. And that they were standing. And so there began this process of fighting sin, of killing sin, of warring against it. And this is what the Spirit joins us in. But the Bible makes no, no qualms that we're to exert effort, that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works and wills in us for his good pleasure, right? We join God in this fight against sin that is killing us. And he says that this is hard. This is the hard path because it's easy to give in to sin. It's easy to give in to gossip. When someone's hurt you or you feel wronged, it's easy to go and talk about that. It's easy to give into pride and say, this is what I deserve. Don't they know they should treat me like this? It's easy to give into anger and say, how dare they? I'll show them. It's easy to give into lust. I'm not being satisfied like I should, and so therefore, I'll go find my satisfaction. It's easy to give into all of these things. It's a different thing that through the Spirit to fight these. As Paul says, to crucify these things, to lay them. And this is what Jesus says in Luke 9. He says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily, deny himself, and come after me. Forever we seek to save his life, will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake, will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And so he talks about that the hard way is the way of, of, crucif- of fighting against our sin. It's the way of obedience. And this means that Christ isn't just our Savior, but he's our Lord. Right? We don't just ask Jesus, come and save me from my sin, and then I'll take my life as I like it very much. I'll, I'll do as I please. You just take away the penalty. <laughs> no. Jesus is Savior and King. He comes as a King. You can't take him in any other way. When I got married, I didn't get a dice up. I always said, all right, I'm, and I'm glad my wife didn't get a dice up me and say, I like this part of you, but that part I'm not having. Maybe 15 years down the road when I'm ready for it, I'll take it, right? I mean, she, she took all of me, you know, for better and for worse. And so with Jesus, we, we take him as he is, which is Savior and King. He comes to rescue us from our sin and to lead us out of sin as, as our Lord. And listen, that's a progression. We don't just come out as new Christians obeying everything perfectly, right? I mean, we're in progress, But there's an acknowledgement that says, I'm no longer king of my life. I no longer call the shots. Instead, I surrender to Jesus. He is the one that that leads my decisions. He is the one that guides my finances. He is the one that leads my relationships. I give these things to him. He's not a consultant. I don't just consult him. God, hey, I need some good advice on this one. What do you think? He's a king. And that means that we come to him and we say, what is it that you will not, your will, not my will be done. And so he's a, he's a king. And so the hard, the hard path, it looks like the path of lordship, the path of obedience. But hear this, it's, it's not just doing what's right. Christianity isn't just about doing what's right. Remember, Jesus is contrasting the way of the Pharisees from the way of those that follow him. And if you know anything about the Pharisees, man, they were diligent. I mean, a lot of them had most of the Old Testament memorized. And they would give on, I mean, they'd go out and get groceries, and then they'd give a tenth of it away. I mean, so, I mean, they were disciplined, they were faithful, they were generous, and Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not be able to enter the kingdom of God. And so if we think that it's simply about doing what is right, 
we've missed what Jesus is talking about because it's not just doing what's right. It's doing what is right with a right heart and a right motive to honor and to please and to love the Lord. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Is, do you understand that Jesus isn't as concerned with your behavior as he is your beliefs? You know, so often we come into church and we think that I've got to fix myself. I see the things wrong and like I've just got to put my life in order rather than understanding that the reason that you're living in such a way is because you believe wrong things about who God is and about who you are and about your need of grace. And that the way that you're changing your life is by repenting of your belief is by repenting about what you believe about who God is, about his holiness, about his goodness, about being satisfied in him because you don't believe those things. You're believing that these other things satisfy you or are better than he is. And so your fight isn't one of primarily behavior, but it's one of belief. And man, when God changes what you believe, he changes your heart, the behavior is going to take care of itself. The behavior will follow what you believe. Elizabeth Elliot, she tells, it's a fictional story. This story is not in the Bible. All right, my disclaimer. But she tells this, uh, this kind of made-up story about uh, Jesus and the disciples and how he, he told them one morning, he said, all right, I want all of you guys to go and pick up a stone. And so they all pick up stones, and Peter picks up a really small stone. You know, he's like, I don't want to carry very much. So he just picks up a real small stone. And uh, lunchtime comes, and Jesus is like, all right, changes all the stones into bread. So everybody's eating their bread, and, and, and Peter's a little frustrated. He's like, man, I grabbed the short, I grabbed the small stone. Like, I got, I got, I got you know, a snack pack here. I wanted a full lunch. And so he's, uh, you know, he's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to learn from this. And Jesus tells him, all right, like, I want you to go, and I want you to pick up another stone. And so Peter's like, hey, I'm catching on. I got it now. And so he picks up this huge boulder, you know. And they, you know, they're going about their day, and he's carrying this huge boulder on his back. And, and evening comes, and Jesus is like, all right, like, I want you to take your stones, and I want you to throw them in the river. And, and Peter's like, all right, something's going to happen, you know. So he's like, all right, like, I wonder what's going to happen. He throws in the river. And Jesus tells, all right, I want you to come and follow me. And Peter's like, what's going on, man? And, and, and Jesus tells him, he says, so who are you carrying the stone for? Who are you carrying the stone for? Who are you carrying the stone for you or are you carrying the stone for me? And this gets at the motive, the heart of what it is that we do things for. Do we do what is right because it benefits us, because it's in our own self-interest? Are we like the Pharisees? Or is the reason we do what we do because we love the Lord? Because we care about his honor and his glory, because of his grace in our life, he's rescued us. And so it's not just doing what is right. It's doing what is right with a right heart in, because of his grace towards us. And this is, what we, this is what we fight for. We fight for this. Romans eight twelve through 13, it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As we submit to the Spirit, He is the one that crucifies and puts to death these evil motives in our heart and these evil actions in our heart. And one of the, one of the hardest things um, and one of the most freeing things is confession. Is that when we're not, we're, as, we're sick as our secrets. And so when we fail to confess, and, and one of the differences between a Christian confession and, and someone that doesn't know the Lord or, or a pharisaical confession is that we're not simply confessing that we've done wrong things, but we're confessing that our motives are broken, is that we do what is right wrongly. And so we come to the Lord and we beg him, God, please change my life, but change my heart. Change my motives. Change why I do what I do that I might be like you. 
And this is the hard path. This is the hard path of daily confessing our sin, of feeling contrition and repenting, changing the way that we think and that we live as we, as we submit to the Spirit's work in our life. He talks about not only do we fight our sin, but there's two other evils. Right? The Bible talks about that there's three forms of evil. There's our sinful nature, there's this broken world, and then there's Satan. In 1 Peter 2.11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Not only do we crucify our flesh, but also that we, we crucify the world to ourselves. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I was going on, I was still in the party scene, I would still go out clubbing with my buddies, and I remember my, one of my friends who was like, didn't know what was going on in life, you know, is that he would, because we would go, and that he would invite girls, and just bad things happened, and so I was like, all right, I don't need to be in that scene anymore. That's not a good place for me. And, and I remember that struggle, that was a struggle in me of fighting to crucify the world, to die to those things because I knew, I knew that it, it was harmful for others, it was harmful for me, and I had to die to that. And that there were certain friendships that I loved him and I cared about him and I'd still hang out with him, but I would not go certain places. But I had to, I had to die to that. I know that there were certain things that I couldn't watch anymore because I, I knew that in my heart that I would, I would be convicted over whether it was the language or whether it was the, the, the lust in my heart. I mean, just different things that I had to crucify. I had to put to death in my life. I had to end. And not only this, all of this is because we also have an enemy. Ephesians 6, 2, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We really do have an enemy. Satan is not just some fictional character. We really believe that there are demonic forces, that there is evil. I've seen it, I've experienced it in my life and the lives of others. This isn't something that you can just do based upon your own effort, that this is a spiritual warfare, that you need the Lord's help. That there are times where you're going to be spiritually attacked and that you need to seek the Lord. That you have to, I mean, Jesus talks about that he goes and he casts out real demons. And he says sometimes the only way that they're cast out is through prayer and fasting. Why? It's because it draws us near to Christ. And so this is, this is the hard path that Jesus talks about, the path of, of sanctification in our life. But, man, can I tell you, while, while it's the hard path, it's also the best. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, easy. And that though it is the hardest, Jesus is worth it. He is the pearl of great price that every time I get to see him and I crucify this and I see it is worth it. The freedom that is in Christ is worth the, the daily fight that we have. It is, it is worth it. And so we fight for those things. So we see that there's two gates, that there's two paths. And third, we see that there are two different kinds of travelers. Right? He says that there are the few and that there are the many. We see this in Jesus' ministry, don't we? When, when Jesus comes, there's a crowd that gathers around. And everywhere, because why? Well, some of them want to be entertained. I mean, they didn't have TiVo, they didn't have TV, they didn't have sports. So like, hey, dude, who's going on? Who's traveling around? Like, Jesus here. Okay, hey. And so they come to be entertained. They want something to do, and Jesus is there something to do. Some of them, they're like, hey, I am hungry, and I heard this guy has food. So they're going around Jesus because they want food. Give me something, right? And then there, there are others that, man, they are sick, they're broken, they, they're, you know, Medicine wasn't super advanced back then, so hey, here's somebody that can heal. I'm on board. And so you had people there, and then some people are 
actually seeking God. They're seeking the kingdom. And so you have this whole mix, this crowd that comes out that's following Jesus. And then you have, out of those, he calls out those that actually follow him, the disciples. And he calls them differently than the crowd. He says, Jesus doesn't, the crowds, they think that Jesus is just going to be something that they add on to their paradigm, right? They think that, you know, I want a better life, so I'm going to exercise. I want to be healthier, so I'm going to eat right. You know, they, they just add, we add these things onto our life so they would improve our life, and they think Jesus is like that. I'm just going to add a little Jesus, and then Jesus will make my life better, right? I mean, he'll improve my existing paradigm. And Jesus comes, he says, I'm not like that. I don't just better your existing paradigm. I shatter it. And you see that with the disciples as he comes to them and he says, follow me. Leave everything behind. I am your world and you will follow me everywhere I go and what I say you will do. That's not Jesus is going to be my buddy and he'll help me when I want him to. That's my life is his and I give everything over to you. And that path is always going to be few. It's always going to be few. It's, it's much easier to use Jesus than to serve him, than to give your life to him. And, but those few that travel that road together bond closely. I can tell you the closest people I have in my life are those people that, that, that walk that path with me. I mean, we're, we're brothers. Like, I love them deeply share life together. I trust them with my life. And I saw this when I was, you know, I've seen this since I've been following Lord. When I was in college, I had a group of guys and we were still so close, but the reason that we were so close is because we would help one another fight. We would get together and we loved each other and we bonded together through that. And this is, God is bringing us into a family where we are not alone, but that we can fight together. And man, though, though that road is, and those are few, I would rather be with a faithful few than be with a crowd. Because have you been there? Have you been in a crowd and feel like you never knew anybody and no one ever knew you? That though everybody was on the surface acting very jovial and very happy, you knew inside that they were dead and that they were hungry and that they were thirsting and they didn't know where to go or what to do to satisfy. And I would rather be with a few that know where they're going and that have purpose and have drive and Jesus says this, there are, there are few travelers on this road, but that they are worth it. Psalms 1 through 2, 1, 1 through 2 talks about it. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So we've seen the gate, we've seen the path, we've seen the travelers. And the last thing we see is the destinations. Jesus says that these two paths lead to two different destinations. He says one leads to life and one leads to death. Jesus is beckoning us here to understand the consequences of our choices. Sometimes we think that because a consequence isn't happening for a while, that it, it doesn't matter. I don't know about you. I mean, for me, that would happen as a kid. Like if dad didn't know about it for like a week, I'm like, I got off. 
I'm good. Like, I, I, I am free, you know? And, like, and then come home and be like, I didn't forget. I was waiting, you know? And to realize that actually the consequence is, you know, is worse. And so there's nothing worse than being surprised by a consequence that you, like, you didn't really know if it was coming or not. And Jesus here saying, listen, you need to take this. You need to understand that though God is patient, hear this, God is patient. He does not desire that you would perish. He doesn't desire that you would take the penalty of your sin, but realize that there is a day at which you will face God. And that day will come, and you do not know when it will come. You do not know what your life will be like or when you will pass. This life is but a mist here for a moment. You know, tons of people that die so quickly, and you never thought they are in perfect health in one moment. And so don't take, don't, don't push it off and say later, maybe someday, maybe at a different time, maybe when I feel ready for it, then I'll do that. Can I tell you that when you're, that's your attitude, your heart will grow harder and harder and harder because what it says, it says that God gives you over to the desires of your heart. It's his passive wrath, Romans 1 says. And so your heart becomes harder and harder towards God. And so today, he says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the moment of response. Do not hold off. Do not wait but he says that there are few that come on this road to life. And this is hard. But think about in Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the parable of the soils. And I, I love this parable. He says this is the key parable to understand all parables. But in Matthew 13, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a sower. Now, I don't know if you guys garden at all. You know, I mean, I didn't, but I learned my family did. And, you know, we've got a farm up in Nebraska. And so they were, apparently I come from a generation of sowers. They were farmers. And so uh, go out and sow seed, right? What they would do is that they would have a field, they would plow it. And then the person would go out and they would have a satchel full of seed. And they would grab and they would just start scattering. They would scatter seed. And he talks about, and he says that there was a person scattering seed, the seed of the kingdom. And some of it, it fell upon a rocky place. And he says that the birds of the air came and they devoured it up. And he says that this is the word of God that's come upon a heart that is hardened and it's rejecting God. And he says that's like Satan coming and snatching the word of God away from that person. And he says there's other seed that it falls and it, and it falls on this soil that is thin. And so it's thin and it springs up very quickly, but it doesn't have any root in it. And so when the sun comes along and when the storms and the, and the, and the, the, the wind, it, it, it's not able to last because it has no root and it says that this is like a heart that when it hears it, it, it responds very quickly, but it's an emotional decision. It's not something that's thought through. It's not something that's understood. It's maybe a fad. Christianity is cultural, and so I'll jump on board. I want an emotional experience. I want to try Jesus. And so you jump on board, and there's never any root for it. And so therefore, they fade away, and they pass. And it says there's other seed that it falls along good soil, but it grows up, and there are weeds and thorns that are amidst that soil. And so it, 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 it drowns out and it suffocates the plant so that it's not able to bear fruit. And he says that this is what happens when the cares of this world and desire for riches happen, is that it suffocates the plant so that it's not able to bear fruit. But then he says, there is seed that falls upon good soil and it springs up and it produces a crop of 30, 60, 100 fold. The heart that is good soil that receives God. Did you hear that? Three-fourths of the seed that falls, falls on hard hearts, falls on hearts that weren't ready, hearts that, that weren't there. But he says that, listen, be faithful because there are hearts that are good. There, God has prepared good soil. And so you and I are to be faithful. And we are to ask, is my heart open and receptive to God's word? Or am I allowing the cares of this world to drown it out? The desire for wealth, 
Am I, am I, is Christianity an emotional thing that I just happen to do when I feel in mood? Or is it something that a part of my life? Have I given all of myself to follow Christ? Hebrews 9, verse 27, it says, And just as it was appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. We've seen that there is a time at which we will die and that we will face judgment. And hear this. The last point. At the very beginning of this, Christ says, he says, enter. He says, enter. And what does this mean? It means that it is his invitation. Is that Christ is inviting you and I right now, and he's saying, come follow me on the narrow path. It is worth it. And one of the most encouraging things for me is that Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. Jesus is the narrow path. He is the gate. But think about it. He, he lived it out. Jesus came into the Father's will, and he submitted to it. He lived in the, the hard path that, where there was few. He was rejected by his own people. Even when it came to his disciples, they rejected and left him. It, the Bible says that he was crucified outside of the gate. He was rejected outside of God's presence. Why? So that you and I might be welcomed in. And, and ultimately, he shows us that the narrow way leads to life. Right? That though the narrow way is hard and there are few on it and there is persecution and hardship, right? we see that on the cross. Ultimately, Jesus says that there's a resurrection on the other side of it and that this life isn't the one we're living for, but it's the next. And so he says it is, it is worth it. And we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus and he says, he says, enter, come. I desire that you would have life, that you would not have death. And that looks like us placing our faith in Christ, turning from our sin, receiving his spirit. So hear this, as, as we close, we come up when we worship, I just want to read Psalm 23 over you because he is our good shepherd and he is the one that leads us. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we worship, we sing this song. If you're here and you don't know Christ, maybe the Lord has just convicted you and you say, I, I, I realize that I don't have a relationship with, with Christ right now. I want to ask you, I'm going to be up here, I would ask that you would come and that you would, you would talk with me. You become a Christian, not because you walk an aisle, not because you pray a prayer. You become a Christian because you believe in Christ, because you've received the gospel. You understand your need of grace. And so if you're here and you don't know Christ and you're saying, listen, today is the day of salvation. Today is the moment. And I ask that you would come, that you would come and talk to me. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. You need a body. You need people to help you do this together. And if you're here and you're a believer, I hope that this encourages you to press on, to fight because it is worth it. He is the pearl of great price. It is worth the narrow way, the hard path, because it leads to life. Father, we love you. We, we praise you. We worship you, Jesus, because you exhibit this. You are our example, Lord, that you, you walk through the hard path, Lord, because of me, because of my brokenness, because of my sin, Lord, that I might be freed of it. 
I pray that your spirit would fall and that your grace would, would come upon us. It's here we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.